Salam everyone, it's Ella. If you want to skip to the conversation, that's at about eight minutes in. Otherwise, join me as I critique the current education system from an Islamic perspective. Salam everyone, and welcome to the first episode of season two. In this episode, we will be discussing how learning is depicted in Islam. In order to explore this topic, the episode will progress in the following format. In part one, I will be critiquing the current education system from an Islamic perspective and what Muslim scholars have said in regards to this topic. In part two, we will be joined by a guest where we'll discuss our own personal experiences with pursuing our education, Islamic classes, and how all of this has impacted our relationship with religion. As always, we are not scholars. We're just sharing our knowledge and experiences. I think it's safe to say that we have heavily emphasized the importance of the pursuit of knowledge in Islam in season one, yet we haven't nearly gone into enough depth. Before delving into any of this, why should we care? This takes us to the first revelation of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, which is Surah Al-Alaq. The translation of the first five ayahs goes as follows. Read in the name of your Lord who created. He created man from a clot. Read, and your Lord is most honorable, who taught to write with the pen, taught man what he knew not. I mentioned its importance before in episode 4, and I'm again here to do the same thing. To fully grasp the importance of the pursuit of knowledge, we must understand exactly what we are being commanded to do here. We are instructed to read in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to actively engage in what we are exposed to for the sake of Allah, because it is with this knowledge that we are able to reflect and understand our surroundings. I often come back to this ayah because it is clear to me here that Islam is supposed to be embodied as a way of life, not just in the acts of worship that we have labeled as quote-unquote Islamic, but in everything that we choose to do. It is also a very clear depiction of one of God's names, Al-Halim, the All-Knowing. It is only through the pursuit of knowledge that we can discover the intricacies of his creation. When I had originally thought of this episode, it was going to be an analysis of how Islam is taught in schools. But as I kept looking into this topic, I realized that it cannot be critiqued without critiquing the current state of the education system as a whole. They are not mutually exclusive. It operates under the same confines. Now, Let's attempt to deconstruct this issue. I'm going to start at the root. How does Islam frame learning? While doing my research for this episode, I came across a paper that described Islam's approach to learning as a culture of learning. This is described as a desire and commitment to learning having the same societal importance as language. They state that the way in which Islam differs from other approaches to knowledge is that instead of an institutional division, it is a characteristic of a whole society. That is, instead of education only occurring within institutions, it is actively pursued and a habit of all members of society. As we will continue to explore this concept, we will see that everybody engages in learning. However, not everyone embodies the same level of commitment to learning. Keeping this definition in mind, the education system would ideally operate in a manner that encourages individuals to pursue their interests with no other motivation besides to nurture their spiritual potential. 
with spirituality not necessarily being directly related to quote-unquote Islamic knowledge, but any field of knowledge that is essential and improves the well-being of society and the self. However, the blame is not to be put on the student, but how the current education system operates as it's directed by economic imperatives. The knowledge taught is viewed as a commodity that meets the needs of the market, and the students are nothing more than human capital resource. In the paper, In the Rise and Fall of Cultural Learning in Early Islam, the author Yudila Kazmi captures the downfall in such a perfect way, so I'll be using his words. There is something morally repugnant in educational institutions being reduced to brokerage firms. Instead of serving the market blindly, should not the students be taught to look at the market and the world that it has generated a little more critically? In other words, are the needs of the market to be met unconditionally? We're in a current situation where learning only appears to occur within these institutions. At no fault to the individual, but we are not encouraged to view education in a manner that nurtures the self, nor have we been encouraged to actively engage with our own learning, but passively receive the information necessary to appease the markets. Thus, the downfall of the current system did not result from the fact that it was institutionalized, but rather how it was. Furthermore, another disease of the education system is its limited accessibility. There are a bunch of factors that contribute to this, but what I want to focus on is jargon. Mainly because if you are a student or anyone who contributes and is involved in spreading knowledge, this is something that is within our control to counter. While I'm sure most people aren't purposely using flowery language to barricade themselves from a large audience, though that definitely exists in the latest games they play, this is just a result of many years of studying in their specialized field. The issue is that we are not actively thinking about how to make this more accessible and keeping that in mind while we are distributing knowledge. This contributes to education being viewed as a status enhancer, thus creating the breeding ground for arrogance, something we are warned against in Surah Luqman I-18. The English translation goes as follows, And do not turn your cheek away from people, and do not walk on the earth haughtily. Surely Allah does not like anyone who is arrogant, proud. It's not that it's always the case that technical words prevent access to knowledge, because quite frankly, sometimes it's unavoidable. However, we can make it more digestible to our audience by just spending a few moments explaining certain terms or replacing words that convey the same meaning but with a lot less confusion. To use flowery language is not impressive in the slightest. You're just in your own academic bubble speaking to your peers. A much more impressive feat is to think of your audience as you write and how you will enhance their knowledge. How can we contribute to the growth of our Muslim community and society as a whole if we are gatekeeping what will aid those around us? The way that the current education system operates is un-Islamic. We are no longer pursuing knowledge out of pure motivation and genuine interest, as it is not feasible under our current system. Education is viewed as a way to enhance our status, from attending universities due to their prestige, to attempting to shift the focus of our studies to meet the demands of the market. Not all is lost on a micro scale, as we can change the way we approach knowledge in our personal lives. 
As long as the system continues to operate in this manner, we must rely on institutions less as our only mode of education. The growth of our Muslim community relies on us intertwining all aspects of our lives for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of the second season. It's been a really, really, really long time, but we're back and we have a guest with us. One you might know from a previous episode, um, the one we did on free will, Sara, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hello, um, I'm Sara, um, and I was on the free will episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm an international studies major. Um, I'm a senior currently, and I love Allah, and that's why we're all here, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> she also has an Insta account um, that she posts like art and Islam-related stuff. And that's why we've also mm-hmm. brought you on here, because you do a similar job to us, but in the form of Insta posts and blog posts on WordPress, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah I do. Yes, and Ella is also here. Hi, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we can just get right into the prompts for today. So because in the um, context, Ella talked about how university shouldn't be the only place where information or the seeking of knowledge is limited because that's where everyone that's what everyone perceives essentially but um we thought we would just talk about in general how do we perceive the seeking of knowledge in university and then we'll go um outwards from that so anyone would anyone like to start and talk about their major and stuff i can talk about mine (laughs) um so, um, like in my my field, I'd say, um, which is political science, we do a lot of learning about like you know philosophy, um, political theories, and philosophers of the past, Western thinkers. A lot of our courses are mm-hmm. very heavily Westernized, and luckily, like my community in university, we bring it up a lot to our professors. Like we'd like to see more um, Arab or Eastern. Um, thinkers and we bring that to the table We're like by the way this course is heavily westernized we don't see a lot of islamic related um, philosophy like we'll see what the christians thought or jewish movements and stuff like that but we won't really get um, islamic thinkers um, and what happens as a result is that they open courses that are specifically for islam mm-hmm. but again it's very hard for them to change the entire course and bring in islamic thinking without them having to redesign it and like offer it in another semester you know Uh, so what happens is like we give advice and it may or may not be applied for like future classes and future semesters but we don't really get to reap the benefits Um, and personally I what I've had to do is like I go learn Islam by myself Mm -hmm. like I look at lectures or read books from old philosophers as well like uh, my favorite person is Mm, Al-Hazari but you know so like (laughs) so yeah like you have to go like do it on your own and a lot of people aren't willing to do that um especially because studying in university or studying in any academic setting being at high school as well um you kind of don't have time to do external work Mm -hmm. you know so like when you're able to get islamic knowledge in an institution already that you're going to be in either way it makes it so much easier so all these barriers are created for no real reason in my opinion yeah exactly and also most of the time when we when they make that separate course, it's like 
an elective course, basically. Like, they can't put it as a required, like, in the curriculum for the required course that you're already taking. Exactly. Yeah. And it's funny because you're in Sharjah, which is in, in, in a Muslim country, and it's still, like, a Western curriculum like all the international universities are like like that Mm -hmm. yeah and compared to like other universities in the same country um Sharjah in particular is very like more orthodox like it follows Mm -hmm. a lot more um Islamic principles and you'll find in the education system as well like we have a lot of Islamic courses on the catalog Mm -hmm. though they may not be offered um every semester compared to other courses they're still there And I was actually just having this conversation with the head of my department the other week um, because what they did is like they basically, basically, okay, this is actually, this is perfect for this uh, conversation. Um, What happened was I took a lot of free electives in the Arabic department, okay? And it had to do a lot with Islamic culture, Islamic history, uh, the seerah of the Prophet, peace be upon him. So many things that have to do with Islam because I'm personally interested in them. And it was all for my own benefit and for no academic pursuit in my like knowledge at the time. And then in my last semester, I found out by coincidence that one of my friends was minoring in, in Middle Eastern studies. And so all the courses that I took would fall into the requirements for that minor. Mm. Uh, so I got really happy because I was like, I've taken a lot of courses. I must have met the requirements. And then she was like, no, you haven't. And I know that for sure. Because there's one course that you're only going to take if you knew you had to take it. And I went, I did like my own like research in the catalog. I started looking and I found out that this minor existed. And truly, there was just one course on Arabic grammar that I was supposed to take, but I didn't take. It's always that. But I took, I took, I swear, bro. I took this one course. I took, actually, I took two courses in Arabic, okay? And my Arabic is not supreme. Like, I was fighting for my life in both of those courses. But, you know, I did it. I did it for the sake of Allah. And, like, alhamdulillah, I gained reward and stuff and benefit. But, you know, I could have literally had this entire minor um, that would go on. But in university, it wasn't pushed. It wasn't advertised. It wasn't promoted. Meanwhile, like, other minors, like environmental policy or, like, a minor in math, mm-hmm. um, applied sciences, stuff like that. All of that was promoted, emailed to us. And I was never once told about a Middle Eastern studies minor. And I literally want to do a master's degree in that, you know? So, like, this is just one thing. Like, even in uh, my university, even though it's an Islamic community and everything, and they have somewhat of, like, accessibility to these Arabic and Islamic courses, I was still, like, disadvantaged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that definitely goes back to universities operating on like, like economic, um, what's the word, initiative or agenda. Whatever's like, yeah, kind of like whatever is most profitable for their students to pursue out, outside of university without like looking into, without viewing university as a place where they can seek knowledge just for even like personal benefit or might not be like, quote unquote, like that profitable in terms of like money or like income or whatever but that's still of interest to them that really actually sucks that they don't integrate um islamic thought into like your typical courses because honestly yeah it'll take a lot of time or a lot of like they'll have to reform the course but it's not that much work where they'd have where to put it off for that long because even like the way they, because the way that they just so casually include like Christian thought 
mm-hmm. they can do the same for Islamic thought. So it's really not that like, oh, it'll take too much time. No, you just don't want to put in like a little bit of effort to reform it. Because I also encountered the same thing with my philosophy courses, but I do go to university in Canada, so of course. But usually what I end up doing is similar to you, where I'll just go like, okay, well, I have to write this essay. It's like this argumentative essay. I'm like, what do, what does Islam have to say about this? And then, because I tend to like form my opinion around that. So I'm like, oh, okay. But But I can't really include it like directly include it in my essays too because it's like not course related material or blah blah blah. Right. So it's kinda like a pro con kind of thing. Like it's fun to be able to do that research myself, but it would also have been nice for it to be taught. Then that also puts it in an area where you have to make sure it's taught in a proper way, which I don't know, mm-hmm. can also do some damage if it isn't. Mm-hmm. And they also act like they have to like jump through hula hoops to include Islamic thought. Period. Period. <laughs> when, in, <laughs> when in reality, bro, there's literally like so much Islamic content that is easily found. Yeah. Like, but they have this literally. bias that like Islamic knowledge is so rare and underground. Like, we're not some kind of indie band, bro. Like, literally <laughs> millions of people, millions of people in history and today are actively pursuing Islamic knowledge and sharing what they find and what they see. And it's, like, accredited. Like, you're basically as- acting like Alamat didn't exist, you know? Like, entire civilizations, bro, the where age. they had to follow... Yeah. Literally, the golden age of Islam, bro. That, oh, R.I.P. House of Wisdom. Anyway, um, like, all these things where it's easy to find them. Like, all it takes is literally, like, not even as a professor, a simple, a simple Google search, and you're like, oh, okay, these are the predominant... Um, Muslim ways of approaching this and then just integrate it into your course but they act like it's so hard and it's impossible and I feel like it comes from this pre-existing bias against us. Okay, I was just gonna say that um, like based on what Alat was saying that it could easily go wrong, the same thing could happen like especially since this is Sharjah um, I feel like most foreign professors will like be hesitant to include like any Islamic content because they feel like they're I don't know, I f- they feel like they're censored or something. Or like they can't, they they might comment or say something. Like they might comment on their religion rather than the views that are pushed by those like philosophers or thinkers yeah. and then be in trouble. Because that's what used to happen with my politics high school teacher. And we wouldn't like talk about, you know, conflicts that are um, Middle Eastern related because of (laughs) you know censorship sort of but also they could just like they don't have to sometimes their own biases comes through with the way that they teach um the content they'll they'll just use certain adjectives or phrases to describe them or describe their views and contrast it with like western thinkers even though uh, most of the time these like from what i've seen the western and islamic thinkers would be influenced by each other or like you'd see their work like echoed throughout um each other but yeah yeah i can i can comment on what um, you said right now um exactly what you were saying about how like they can't differentiate or like they'll have trouble differentiating between if they're going to make a comment about islam Mm -hmm. or make a comment on the thinker you know and there's this like massive fear because um as muslims as well like all of us 
we are like predisposed to like being defensive because there's so much misinformation about Islam on a worldwide worldwide scale. And so the professors fear, for example, like if they say something wrong that they'll trigger like an attack or like people will get offended. But again, then that goes back to their own institution that taught them, mm-hmm. you know, like essentially all it falls back to is like, were you educated about Islam even as a non-Muslim? Because we as Muslims were educated about other faiths and mm-hmm. their thinking and stuff. So it's a matter of restructuring the entire system to include these voices and these narratives that we don't really hear about. Um, because the long-term effect is that you start looking at it like a taboo and then you result in a, another um, another what another generation that is not... Um, as strongly educated about Islam as they would be in the past. The thing is, you can, like, remain, um, what's it called? Like, removed from, like, your opinions can remain removed from the opinions of the people that you're reading or their views. Like, we're, like when we're reading about philosophers and they're, like, crazy views, you don't have to, like, you can think whatever you want about them, but yeah. in the end what you're arguing against is like you there's a format to your argument and you're only arguing you know about their views like you can't just straw man it or be biased in your opinion so i feel like if you're an academic that's actually you know yeah doing a good job then (laughs) you you wouldn't fall into that it's just like i feel like laziness or just being biased in general yeah 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 Exactly. And also, like, criticizing a thinker doesn't mean you're criticizing the religion. Like, Mm -hmm. there's so many things, especially, like, with Western thinkers. I remember when I was taking philosophy, like, um, they would say something crazy. Um, (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, to name a few things. But, like, I swear, bro, but, like, it'd be, like, so out of pocket. And we're in class. And I would, like, out loud, I would say, oh, he's crazy. And then the professor would agree with me. And that's not me attacking, like, Christianity just because he was Christian, you know? And us hatta in Islam, what we say is, like, um, Islam is perfect, the people are not. So, like, people can yeah. easily make mistakes, and thinkers <clears throat> can easily, like, have incorrect interpretations. And that doesn't reflect anything on Islam, even if you were to judge or criticize them. It's actually the opposite. Like, even the Islamic philosophers during the Golden Age, they would criticize one another, you know? And that's how they would, like, string out the truth in all the different interpretations. Yeah, definitely. Even... Even some Islamic, a lot of Islamic philosophers, some of the stuff they say, I'm like, this is really out of pocket. Like, I don't know what this you're saying. This is shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah. Yeah, literally. Literally. <laughs> Bro, I'm literally taking an Islamic philosophy course right now. And it's like, one of them, um, like, rejected prophethood. And I was like, yeah i know like i'm reading i'm like this is blasphemy you know but that doesn't mean anything about islam it's just this guy who had this thought yeah exactly so yeah it goes back to being like i guess a a quote-unquote like proper academic you'd be able to separate like between the person saying it and their actual thoughts and even you can like sift through some of their thoughts like ibn arabi i love that man but is he unhinged? Absolutely unhinged. <laughs> so, but he has like some good theories, some not. So you, that also relies you absorbing that knowledge. You can't just like not do it with any critical thinking. Yeah, you also have exactly. to wonder what exactly they're saying and like, does it conflict with anything else and so forth. I also want to add about um, the whole part where they don't really 
integrate Islam into their curriculums or they'll just offer a course onto it or like just a single course dedicated to it. That really, I don't know if this is, this is just a little theory of mine, a little hypothesis, conspiracy. but I feel like the, no, it's not, it's, not, it's not conspiracy, but like when they continue to separate Islam where you're only learning Islam in an Islamic dedicated course and they don't integrate mm. it throughout different um, courses, I feel like it contributes to people to like people not viewing Islam as a like a cohesive way of life that blends into yeah. like other aspects because that way you're only you're only learning about quote unquote like Islamic related things but you don't realize that it can be applied to other areas. So mm. I think because we're not really taught about it in that setting, it can maybe be difficult for the individual to like blend the two or they're not used to blending it. Yeah, um, this is a really good point because. Um... Like, I'm currently doing, like, a senior research project, and one of my concepts is secularism Mm -hmm. and where that falls within the state. But you mentioning it now brought my attention to secularism in education, where they've, like, Mm -hmm. separated uh, knowledge and separated um, religion, where it's fundamentally, like, the opposite of what Islam is about, right? Because... There are Islamic thinkers and people who are Muslim who support secularism, but the question becomes in that case, like, you claim that Allah is all knowledgeable in your social uh, relations and your religious and spiritual relations, but as soon as it comes to handling society on a larger scale, that's when he pulls out and that's not where he's specialized in, you know? And Mm -hmm. so in education, when that happens and you separate that, that enforces the idea that okay, Islam does not belong here. And then what happens is the person learning starts to internalize Islam doesn't belong everywhere, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But just like you said, it's a cohesive way of life encompassing everything that we do. Um, and separating it from education obviously just furthers the agenda because this is the Western way of thought, right? Secularism, church versus mm-hmm. state. But um, in Islam, that's not necessarily the case. Like, um, okay, not to dive into too deeply but i also learned about this recently but basically like because i was concerned about where islam lies within like politics and it was like ulama are not encouraged to be allies with political leaders because what happens is you will eventually sway into their way of thought and then that corrupts your deen right because you'll just push um, for things that are not necessarily Islamic, but help with the politics, and you could be bribed, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that actually falls into education as well, because these ulama were in charge of that, and they can push and educate um, things that are not fundamentally agreeing with Islam, for example. But um, that all influenced the education system. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, by the way, I never knew that that was actually like something that they were told not to do. Yeah. Uh, but it kind of makes sense if you think about like the way that history is taught and how certain yeah. things would be not mentioned or the roles of oppressors and um, stuff would be... What, what's the word? Um, I'm, I'm thinking of the word lionized, but it's not. it doesn't match that much. It's like when you frame them as the hero, basically. I can't find the word. Uh, propaganda <laughs> yeah i guess so yeah <laughs> that works yeah because <laughs> yeah, like i think as well like this is just looking for example like at the alamat state alliance 
but it would be very naive of us to think that that doesn't exist today mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. to sway our own education system like share pursuit of knowledge and all that but mm-hmm. there's still someone that or like an ideology that controls a lot of what we're learning and that's like one of the main things they teach us um in political science is like what you're taught isn't necessarily what is true and that's why you mm-hmm. have to activate your critical thought mm-hmm. like Ella was saying yeah mm-hmm. you know they also do that like in Uh, most of my linguistics courses because most of the research is just done on white male like the weird demographic yeah yeah, yeah yeah was it white educated something something democratic institutionalized something yeah no, <laughs> i don't know like weird yeah psychology and linguistics is done on that demographic so it's like Mm-hmm. always skewed and everything all the measurements all the studies we take everything with a grain of salt because of that yeah exactly okay yeah i was just gonna say that that is an interesting point and like how i didn't know that but definitely does make a lot of sense but i did want to or i guess since we've been talking about how islam should be integrated into the curriculum what do we think about islamic schools or And also, because I didn't go to an Islamic school, but I did go, but most schools in Sharjah or whatever, um, you take Islamic classes. So what do we think about those? How Islam is taught in those courses too, specifically. I have a lot yeah. to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, like I, my distinct memory, uh, because like you're right, like in our culture at least, Uh, something they do is like they send us to madrasas when we're younger you know like the islamic schools mm-hmm. and i remember like i went when i was really young and i hated it uh, i had a good relationship like with religion and stuff i didn't like hate religion i i actually like i loved religion and everything but going into the madrasas like I, all i did was cry like it didn't yeah. make me feel good at all and i remember i told my mom i was like mom i do not want to go back please don't send me back whatever she's like we're gonna try one more time if you still feel the same because it was my first day Uh, if you still feel the same, then I won't make you go. And then I went the second day. It was, like, worse than the first. And I was like, no, I'm never doing this again, whatever. And my mom, luckily, respected that. A lot of people have parents that say, no, like, you have to go. And then, like, you start wondering. It's like, okay, why was I crying like that? And I don't even remember, probably because it was so, like, traumatizing. And then I have my friends who have shared experiences with me. And they tell me, um, madrasas, like, all they do is emphasize, for example, like, hellfire and torture. Bruh this like fear yeah. of religion you know it's like do not do this or you will go to hell it's like okay how about we start with what we can do to get to heaven or like how beautiful god is you know like why don't you introduce me to his beautiful names and like allow me to learn them like why am i 21 researching the names of allah because i don't have a good understanding of them yeah. so as children and then you go into school where you're not going to madrasas right mm-hmm. you're going to institutionalized american school with islamic classes Um, and then I have, again, the same exact, like, formula where this is haram, don't do this, this is shirk, don't do this, don't, 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 don't. It's like, okay, this is how you pray. Teach me how to love prayer. Teach me why I'm praying. Don't tell me I have to. Because you have to, like, employ a psychological understanding of religion where, like, in order to love Allah, it's the same thing as loving someone else. You have to love them first before you respect them or like you have to build a foundation where there is reason to love 
this person, mm -hmm. right? So you're not just going to be like, not someone's not just going to tell you this person is so capable of hurting you. If you wrong them, they're going to do you so dirty. Your life's going to be over. I'm just going to be scared of that person. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to want to be like, okay, let me go worship them because I'm afraid. No, that's not my rational explanation to it, you know? So what happens is like, the best thing to do is do the same thing that you do when you make some, when you tell your children to go love something, bro. Like, try to make sure that they understand why Allah should be loved before he should be feared. Although both things are equally important, I'm not denying that. But mm -hmm. especially for children and people growing up, even our own age, like, you want to understand why you respect and love Allah before you fear him. Because fearing him is not going to be the most attractive thing to pull someone into deen. And when you tell them, this is why you do X and X, they're more likely to keep wanting to do it. Madrasas and traditional schooling systems, especially with uh, their approach to Islamic classes, do not capitalize this at all. It, they go mm -hmm. the polar opposite. <clears throat> I feel like usually um, it's because like we have the government curriculum to go through and then we're going to get tested on it. So and usually the people who teach them are like for my case, Arabic teachers. I know I did like non-Arabic religion. <laughs> I did Arabic, non-Arabic. <laughs> but yeah, like they're used. English, Islam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, they're usually like normal Arabic teachers and like we go, like most of the students who go there, they're like mentally checking out the whole time. So it's like, yeah, like, I don't know. We just basically study mm -hmm. to pass the test. And also when you pass yeah. it, it's like 50, per like it's the minimum grade. I feel like people just, you know, the whole time in Islamic, everyone's cheating. I swear to God. <laughs> It's like fear a lot. It's like, no, I really don't I in swear, this class, you know? But they don't care and they cheat. Um, it's just kind of crazy no, I, when I think oh about God. it. Yeah. Every single I remember class. I was taking. Yeah. Yeah. I was taking language of the Islam. Language of the Islam. Language of the Quran last semester. And it was like during my final and it was in a computer lab. And the password to the test was literally like, Allah is one. Like, it was a very, like, obviously it's an Islamic course, you know, like you're just doing that. But okay, like, we're doing the excessive. test, whatever. <laughs> He's a cute professor, I love him. Anyway, but no, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is, there was this, uh, the exam was like an hour and 15 minutes. And I remember like halfway through the exam, I heard a phone lock behind me. Oh and I was God. just like, we're literally like, this is like an advanced course, like we're looking at like the linguistic understanding of the Quran and stuff. And so we're seeing like Jalalat Allah in everything that we're doing, you know, like if you're going to fear Allah, this is the time, you know. <laughs> and then this guy is like pulling out his phone, scrolling. It's like you're not here to internalize what you're learning. You're literally doing this course because you just need to graduate, you know. Yeah, my experience with the Islamic schools or like. Islam being taught in schools is definitely similar to yours, Sada. I had, I used to live, like, I was born in the U.S., so they had, like, Sunday school, like, the equivalent, so you would go, and honestly, I think that's the, that's one of the, in that moment, I actually did have good experiences, I was with the homies, I was, like, what was mm -hmm. I, like, six years old, just vibes, you know, at <laughs> empty, just vibes, they weren't really, like, vibes Allah. <laughs> yeah, vibes in Allah, literally, they weren't really enforcing, like, you're gonna go to hell, whatever, but then, I came to UAE 
<laughs> like, honestly, like, mashallah, that you having, like, a bad experience with, like, a madrasa didn't impact your relationship with faith. Because it, it definitely impacted mine. Um, I remember, what was it, like, in middle school, our Islamic classes were basically, like, one-on-one on what's going to happen to you when you go to hell. Like, they, they actually showed, oh. like, <clears throat> there was this one video... So nice. traumatizing. I don't know why they showed it to a bunch Bro, of like, I feel like every sixth graders. <laughs> and it was like no, but it was like literally oh like like they would depict jinn. Yeah, yeah. And, and the devil. Show, like the jinn like whispering to you when you're yeah. I was like It's like why am I twelve? <laughs> why am I twelve watching? It's like the signs of the day of judgment and like all of them have arrived and I'm just yeah, like yeah, what? <laughs> literally and I'm like how is this so honestly like those islamic class yeah they definitely turned into like a horror movie for me and then it was just like i never and then along with side with what hada was saying it just turned into like a course that i needed to pass so it's like okay let me just like memorize all these like different things without like any like without embodying any of it and then just like regurgitate it back and then in high school actually Bless this man. Inshallah, he's like doing well, Sorry, whatever. Man. He was such a yeah, very Hello. chill guy. Like he, <clears throat> like he didn't really. I think he left the school now, so I can say this. But he didn't really follow the curriculum. He would just like he wouldn't even open. He would barely open the book. He'd just sit there and like talk about Islam and things like that. And he'd make us like do these like cool fun activities and stuff. But at that point, my like relationship with faith was like at a very like. It was, how do I say? It was like turbulent, turbulous, something like that. So even it being taught in that way wasn't enough for me. It's only later back in my, like in my 20s, where I'm I'm able to like revisit Islam from like, like approaching it with love and like kind of, and wanting to learn it and learning to love God properly. Um, But it was definitely like, it's still work in progress. But those schools definitely set me back a lot. I also just remembered, like, because when people, this also kind of brings me, it's, it's a little bit of a tangent, but not really. When, when you see kids not practicing faith or not, or growing up and being distant from Islam, the first person they want to blame is, like, um, them. They'll just blame the, yeah, they'll just blame the person who's, like, who's left the faith or whatever. And obviously they have their own accountability. But Islam is a collectivist religion. If the people, if how they've been taught or the way they've been taught has definitely impacted their relationship with Islam, they need to take accountability too. Yeah, mm-hmm, some responsibility mm-hmm. falls on the individual, of course, but it's like you also led them to that point as well. So, <sighs> exactly. Yeah, like, there's there's this big like taboo put on like people who question religion or like mm-hmm. not just question religion but have questions about islam in general and like, it's like no 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 you're not supposed to question allah do not question allah bro we are literally encouraged to ask questions here's the thing i i remember this from um okay i was the one who said it but i said it in my philosophy class i remember saying this in my philosophy class um because someone Quoting someone yourself. basically joined the class and yeah, when, you, when you cite yourself <laughs> I'm dead. As you should, as you should. Though. Like I was trying not to do that. I was like, I can't get out of it. I'm in too deep. <laughs> but yeah, so basically, like this girl came into uh, our Islamic philosophy class, and she said she was like enrolled in the class because you know she had questions about Dean, and um, 
someone then like pushed this narrative I was telling you about how like you're not supposed to question it. It's like you just you just believe amenti khalas. And then my response was, um, if someone's insecure about something themselves in particular and you begin to like question them and stuff they're just going to get more anxious they're going to get more scared mm-hmm. they're not going to be able to answer you but the thing about islam is not not only does it encourage tafakkur and like asking questions and it's stated in the quran and all we were just talking about like all of islamic philosophies and thinkers all these people they questioned and therefore they knew more right and islam knows that the further you go in and the more you ask questions that will not change the fact that Islam is al-haq. Like there's mm-hmm. a reason why Allah calls it that. Um, the proper translation would be like the truth and in mm-hmm. all of its forms. And so if you try to attack or like ask questions, be it in whatever kind of tone, whether you're attacking or actually inquisitive, you cannot break it because it is the truth, right? So there's no insecurity in the religion for people to ask questions and you to get scared. Because you know that you're on the right path. This is the unquestion, the unquestionable, the infallible truth. And so when people come to ask questions, you encourage it. Yes, ask questions. But then there are obviously the questions that people are asking not because they're seeking answers. They're just mm-hmm. asking it so they can like befuddle you, whatever. And there's no harm in you saying, I don't know the answer to that. I'll try to find it and get back to you. Or you simply don't know. Because there are some things in Islam as well that are a reflection of like Allah's greatness. And stuff. And so, for example, the most basic example is like in the Quran, um, some surahs in the beginning they only have like the letters like mm-hmm. alif lam mim, for example, right? We do not know what that means, yeah. and we just have to believe like Allah knows best, and we don't. That hasn't stopped people from trying to interpret them, but at the same time, we genuinely won't know, and you have to be okay with that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because part of accepting, if we were to comprehend everything there is to know about Islam then you would be saying that you can comprehend everything Allah has sent down. And that's that's kind of pushing it. You as a mortal human being and Allah as the eternal, absolute God um, who's capable of so much more than you are. And so not only does it remind you of your stance compared to your the superior Allah, but also humbles you as a human being because you're aware that you do not know everything and you will never know everything. And yeah. Interesting point. Like this is sort of a tangent, but that sort of reminds me of something that um, used to happen a lot in our classes where people would just ask questions because they mentally check out. So they try to make it funny. Basically, you know, Mm. I don't know why, but they waited until we were in our older years of high school, like grade 11, grade 12, to teach us personally relevant Islamic things. Like we only learned about marriage in grade 12 or something and why or like we only learned about that in grade 12 and uh which is kind of weird but anyway i just remember this one instance where our teacher was like oh um you shouldn't like you shouldn't really um the reason why uh, sorry alcohol and stuff is haram is because it's something that harms your body and also some scholars think that smoking is falls on under the same category and this guy was like okay sir so um if i eat kfc um is that haram i'm like (laughs) 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 it's just like they're just asking questions for the hell of it and like as you guys said um before when i was a kid i don't really remember much of my childhood so 
can't really cite that, but like before I went to an actual like community, it was like mostly like the way that they taught religion. It was entirely run by women. And I had a favorite teacher because when you would go to like her class, she, the way she talks, first of all, she talked like in English. <laughs> so like she was, there was that, um, she already like, went past that barrier for people who weren't that connected to um like arabic based on the fact that they've been um like they grew up their their whole life in english schools and stuff so yeah she would mostly talk about that and she was like also close to our age she was in college so she would relate to all of you know the current struggles of hijab of everything and like i took her as a role model basically because every time she like she the way she taught was with respect like you um you were quiet and you listened to her because her demeanor um like made you respect her and she you knew that she wanted you your own um she wanted to benefit you basically because every time we went what she would say is um like you need to pay attention because you know when people um sit and talk about god the malaika make a whole um bridge from their talk space to god and it's like an immediate connection um to god they make like uh circles i can't really remember but yeah, you're, yeah. you're like connected they come they come around yeah exactly and you're you're also you're say at every every week this is like your weekly cleanse um you're say at you're say ads are getting like you know removed so it's like she also recognizes some people may have been forced, but she, like the the point of all of this is what I'm saying is by making things personally relevant and incentivizing why you should um, learn about something. Like she would link it to our lives, for example, I don't know, dating, whatever. And also there would be small like activities that we would do that you would get prizes for. So it's like making the whole thing fun and it's like a whole community of friends and stuff and yeah i was just like i'm glad to have been a part of that because the school curriculum that we were um exposed to especially being in a muslim country was just like insufficient even though like i felt bad you know every time i went to islamic i felt bad for the teacher because he genuinely um was trying to teach us like I just remember this one time what he said was he was like getting frustrated because no one would pay attention and then he said this thing that was like you know uh one day like when you're in uni and you don't have any islamic courses you'll know things and you'll remember me like for just trying to teach them to you like i would always pay attention as the teacher's pet that i was <laughs> okay no because i felt okay. i felt bad because he was making a genuine effort um, yeah, yeah. But like, just people were just indifferent in general. Like, you you're forced to take this course because of a government requirement. Like, it's not even part of our like diploma. You just need it mm-hmm. just to graduate high school. To graduate. Yeah. So I remember that phrase sometimes, and I'm just like, yeah, yeah. And I think it's there's such a big role for like how your teacher, be it at a university or high school or madrasa level. Um, is like their character because they reflect Islam to you, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like the way they act. And I had some very nice and very not nice things said to me. Like 
I remember once, like, my Islamic teacher was just, like, playing around, whatever. I had my hair in pigtails. I was younger. And he, like, made fun of me. Yikes. And it's just, like, why would you make fun of me? Like, I'm just, I'm just in braids, bro. <laughs> like, it's not that deep, <laughs> right? But the thing is, like, it's much bigger than that because why? Because, like, as, especially as an Islamic teacher, you want to be someone who reflects Islam in your mannerisms and mm-hmm. the way that you act and behave and, like, deal with people and handle them. You want to be a source of kindness. You want to, like, implement the sunnah and how you, like, behave with other people. Because especially as an Islamic teacher, the first thing people will remember when they see you in school, especially if they're your students, like, oh, Islam, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. how you act is going to be, like, an archetype to that. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. It also applies to, like, hijabi women or, like, when you wear abai or anything, Islamic clothing. The first thing people will see about you is Islam. Mm-hmm. So even if you know that, like, you're imperfect within, you try to reflect that. And it's super critical for teachers because of their role and the position that they have in a student's exactly. life. You know when they're sexist? Like, and, oh, that's no. what, mm-hmm. and that's what the students take away and it just makes people, like, yeah, completely... Yeah, yeah. Like, they misinterpret phrases of the Quran mm-hmm, or just mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the seerah yeah. in general. And to p- push forward... Their sexist agenda. It's so pisses me off. So bad. I have like the like for some like I am in an Arab university predominantly. We have exchange students, but predominantly Arabs, predominant predominant Muslims, and you would be surprised like the extent of which how many of them believe that women are inferior in Islam. Oh my god! Because like Mm -hmm. it. It's, like, pushed in Western media, right? It's, like, oh, the Arabs, the position of the women. Understandable. So many different uh, societies in the Arab world do not have, like, women's right as they should be. But interpret that as culture. Do not interpret that as religion. Exactly. And that's the issue. It's, like, you have people in Arabic culture, Islamic culture, quote-unquote, who have attributed this cultural belief and, like, this role to Islam and, therefore place god on an unjust level mm-hmm. which is contradictory because allah is just mm-hmm. um and like that's in an already like arab islamic muslim yep. practicing yep. society yep. so like how are we doing how are we doing elsewhere bro if we can't reflect it then surely they're not going to be able to interpret it yeah that, it reminds me of i was talking to one of my friends who's a convert and one of the things she said was really I think she was speaking to someone else or I I can't remember exactly the context of the conversation, but she was saying um, people would tell her that don't learn Islam from a man and learn it from a woman. And I was like, oh, that's that's interesting because that also tends to be like now in my like grown age, the people that I gravitate towards, except for Omar Suleiman, love that man, but except for him. A lot of the, um, where I get a lot of my Islamic knowledge is from women because they also tend to, they they speak about Islam in a way that I, that I believe is most, like they most accurately depict it because they go about it from the love-based one. And they also acknowledge our struggles where we've been grown, where we've grown up in societies where we've been taught Islam in a way that, um, how do I say? People have manipulated the religion to like further their like sexist agendas. And it's only through, and it's those women 
who have like probably it's probably because they've experienced the same stuff where they help you unlearn that and they acknowledge why that might um, push people away from the faith and they simp- and they empathize with your pain. So yeah, just remind me of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely like have to agree about about like women being uniquely able to teach Islam to women specifically because they're the only ones who like truly understand the hardships that women face and the obstacles that we have um and us being like victims of like sexual assault and like all those things men can sympathize they cannot properly speak to you in a way where like they're going to understand you though because there's such a sharp division right but yeah like i there are also like male scholars that i listen to that are able to like preach without this whole like violent kind of undertone mm-hmm. Islam, you know and I, and I can learn from them especially the ones like concerned with the uh, linguistic understandings of the Quran for example like you don't find that they have um, this violent um, again I'm going to repeat myself violent undertone to the way that they preach and so I think that's like the best way to communicate Quran or Islam in general is like through this like calm demeanor that is more likely to be found with women uh, simply by our nature mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mean anything yeah. by that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was my point. Yeah, no, you're right. There definitely are. <clears throat> I'm not trying to cancel male scholars, but like, I think you should definitely learn about it from uh, both a variety perspectives. of perspectives. Yeah. Um, yeah, a variety mm-hmm. of perspectives. Yeah. And not be like in an echo chamber for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. I think we can move on to like, um, because we talked about the second prompt basically, which was why or, and how we seek knowledge like out, outside of university settings in general and um i mean we we derailed we didn't derail but like we talked a lot about islamic the integration of islamic thought and stuff in the curriculum but in general what i would say was um although i don't disagree with ella in what she said in the context about how most of the time we're socialized to think that knowledge only exists in the confounds of university or academia in general the fact that i guess the fact that i chose my major which again is like cognitive science and the fact that we only have like like the whole major is basically like pick your own courses like we i think we have like four required courses and then the rest of them it's it's like a whole elective based major it's not electives but you have a list that you can pick from so it's like um giving you all of the i guess it's forcing you to be proactive about the knowledge that you're learning and it's because of that that i really enjoy actually seeking knowledge in university and if i want if i want to learn about something and i don't um like i don't want to research it or find like a whole curriculum for myself like i know that by reading the syllabus i can learn this this and this like i just take a course on it it's it just feels like like I just, I'm just saying, like I'm really grateful for the fact that I'm able to just do that, and it'll fall under my interest because the major is like the four um, disciplines of philosophy, linguistics, psychology, and computer science, and you can just, you know, pick whatever you want. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that's why I was just, I just yeah. wanted to win the advertise it. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I agree. I think, um, yeah, obviously, like. In addition to whatever I said in the context, there are pros to, like, obviously seeking education in university is, like, such a blessing, mm-hmm. um, and it it should be accessible to everyone. 
Um, and I, and I actually do, once I entered, I'm in my fourth year now, but once I entered my third and fourth year, my curriculum became a lot more like Hannah's where it's kind of like you choose things based on your interest and it operates like all under the scope of cognitive systems, which honestly <laughs> I, I do when people don't know what they want to do in university, I'm like, just take a CODS course because there's enough like diversity and it's relevant enough in terms of like what's currently happening in the world in terms of like technological advancements and such where you'd be able to like, I think morph it in a way that is relatable to you. But anyway, yeah, it definitely, um, I do enjoy a lot of my courses. It's also contingent on the professor. Yeah. Period. They teach it and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I do. For the most part, I really do enjoy university and how I'm being taught and what and the knowledge I'm gaining there. So, yeah, I was just gonna say a little comment. It also makes you appreciate like how you were made, or like how God has put all of these things into creation. Because, I mean, you're learning about the brain, you're learning about how we speak, how we operate, and all of these theories that are trying to figure out cognition and also mechanize it you're like it's always like triggering these um like lights in my brain that are like wait is this like how would islam think about this how how would we implement something like that and it's just like like you it's like personally relevant but you have to also link it back to you know yourself because as we said there's no islamic thought in the curriculum, unless you go and seek it. But yeah, sorry, you can go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, like, relating to your point just now, like, in so many of my gen ed courses, like, obviously they don't have an Islamic, um, like, approach, and they don't have, like, any other approach for that matter, just, like, biology, for example, <laughs> just science. Um, yeah. But the thing is, like, I remember when I was taking bio, for example, um, and I've taken it, like, since I was in middle school, but... When I was in uni in particular, um, after like I had my religious awakening, you would say, um, I was learning about like um, the kidney and like dialysis of the kidney and how like your entire blood system gets filtered through something that's like this small. Um, and I was like, subhanAllah, you know, because with all of our technology till this day, like there's this huge dialysis machine and that's what you have to go connect your like, you know, get get an IV and whatever. And it takes a few hours for it to do so, but your kidney is, like, always doing that and stuff. And I remember I was like, oh, like, subhanAllah. So it relates back to your point about how, like, some things, they don't explicitly, like, link it back to Islam. But you, with your own knowledge, you're able to do so and with your own thinking. And the more conscious and um, in a state of remembrance you are of Allah, the more beauty you can see in the world, even if your system of education does not facilitate that or make it very easy for you you can still allow yourself to see Allah in everything that you learn um which I think like is really beautiful because if there's no Islamic approach within yourself you are the Islamic approach and you can be that Islamic voice as well when you speak in a class definitely because um yeah while the system definitely is holds like a lot of fault the individual isn't like absolved of responsibility even in even let's say ideally in the perfect system i would say that you would you should still approach it from a sense of like critical thinking go seeking your own knowledge because of like your willingness to want to learn 
Um, but yeah. So and this goes back I to think... no. I was just gonna say that we said this exact same point in the free will episode that we had with Sora, how you being God conscious in general and you have the will to like you know <laughs> you have the will to act and you have the will to like seek knowledge in this context but yeah i let you can go on definitely. to the philosopher definitely so since we've been talking about um education system and all of that i did want to introduce a muslim scholar who basically like outlined what he thinks a primary goal of education should be and kind of how it should be conducted. So I will go through, I'll walk through some of his points and, um, and yeah, you can pause me whenever you want to, if you, whenever you have something to say. And yeah. And if not, then there will, at the, towards the end, I'll like, you can either pause when I'm talking or like towards the end if you have something to say. But yeah, so basically the scholar, the Muslim scholar is Al-Zarnuji, and he outlines what should be the primary goal of education. So it's split into three points. The first one being to achieve God's approval. Second, to guide each person's development. And the third, to possess the ability to interact socially. So Al-Zarnuji classifies knowledge into two main categories individually needed knowledge so far i can't how to correct my pronunciation but for for the for dying and for the cafe yeah <laughs> thank you <laughs> yeah so for the or what is a or what is obligatory on the individual and knowledge required by the entire muslim community for the cafe so what i want to focus on is for the cafe the following or what i'm gonna read now or what i've summarized was taken by, by the article Al-Zarnuji's concept of knowledge. But for Farah Kafi, Al-Zarnuji says that discipline like medical science is very important for the society, and so there must always be individuals who will be experts in it to take care of the members of the society in times of disease um, outbreak. But basically what I argue is that there are more disciplines that could be that could be classified as Farah Kafi, for example, every society needs engineers, and particularly meteorologists, for weather forecasts. For Al-Zarnuji, however, not all disciplines should be perceived as potentially good for the well-being of the society. Examples are astrology and astronomy. For him, there are some conditions governing the study of astronomy by a Muslim. He maintains that it could be studied only as much as it can help determine the times for prayers. Nonetheless, unlike the personally required type of knowledge, the field of knowledge that are incumbent on the entire society are reserved for fewer people. This is because not everybody can be an engineer or a medical doctor, for example. Thus, once a few people take up the responsibility, it does not bind on society anymore. That's Al-Zarnuji's opinion. Um, and others among this type of knowledge include the science of logic, mathematics, or geometry. So, my take on this is that I do agree with Azamuji's outline of what the primary goal of education should be, but mm -hmm. um, I do kind of disagree on how, what he says about like, that some disciplines you can only do so much for, like, for example, the astronomy example, where you should only study it because it can help determine times of prayer. I, I don't agree with that. Um, well, obviously that, that is good. But I think even if it's not like explicitly linked, as in like 
this helps with times of prayers. But in terms of like studying, I don't know, different aspects of the universe or whatever you do in mm-hmm. astronomy, even though that doesn't have like explicit Islamic ties, you can make those ties yourself by like, um, I don't know, when you see the wonders of the universe and when you uncover it. Basically what you guys were saying about um, cognition and, and also like biology. Yeah. Because um, even if it's never explicitly said, you can... Like God, God is in everything. Islam is in everything. So mm-hmm. I disagree with him there. But what are your guys' thoughts, or what are you guys guys' thoughts on his um, outline of education and what the primary goal of education should be? I agree with how be? he dismisses like some disciplines just because like they're not useful to society. And I think this actually links to like what we were going to talk about next, which was just like representation of women and Muslim women in. Um, knowledge spaces or education in general just because something isn't directly useful um, like how he describes usefulness to the um, to Islam in general which is like finding out prayer times or being a, an Islamic scholar just because you're not that doesn't mean that your knowledge isn't a benefit in some way because as you said first of all there's that element of how you're um, encouraged to do tafakkur about how god has created the universe for you and what you're learning and how mere humans were able to find this knowledge but there's probably so much more that we don't know so it's just like that tafakkur and surprise aspect and also just i feel like one important thing that i've like that i always think about is be is muslim representation especially in like art spaces or just like in spaces where you don't really see it, like CS and stuff like that. It's just like being a Muslim woman, like vis- visibly Muslim woman in those spaces is feels like I'm doing my job and, you know, um, furthering, like I'm benefiting the Muslim community through my pursuit of knowledge because I represent them. That's basically how I think about it. Yeah, um, to relate to what you guys think about him saying um, that not all fields of knowledge like should be pursued because they don't have direct Islamic ties, I share the same opinion. However, I think it's important to point something out um, because reading a lot about, like, in, especially in the golden age of Islam, what some philosophers think, and you're like, oh, that's a bit extreme. Um, we have to place it in the context of what they were afraid of at the time. Because, for example, like the reason, for example, philosophy or ilm al-kalam, uh, theology mm-hmm. in Islam started was because of a lot of interaction with people of different faiths and they had to respond to that. You know, a lot of people ask, like, why didn't the Prophet address these concerns? Where was he when we needed these answers? It's like these questions were not posed at that time because they weren't interacting with so-and-so societies who would bring so-and-so questions um, to that community Mm -hmm. so similar to him saying oh like we should like stay away from astronomy for example might be in relation to his fear of people approaching shirk Mm -hmm. under that because as we know in the quran for example allah exactly as allah Mm -hmm. mentions like that people begin to worship the stars so maybe something he was concerned about was shirk of people like when they look into astronomy if they look too deep they'll start worshipping the stars. However, when we look in the Qur'an, and we look at some miracles in the Qur'an, linguistic miracles, I can't recall the name of the surah in particular, but there is a surah where you look at the structure of it linguistically, 
and um, or an ayah and you break down the ayah from beginning and end at the same time and you kind of work work towards the middle like you're finding the median of mm-hmm. a number scale and they like contribute to each other they're perfectly symmetrical and when you place them apart it looks like the universe and with harfalia in the middle and them circulating about around that and the ayah as well is about that same topic right and if we were not to have knowledge in astronomy we wouldn't know this miracle but it becomes accessible to us because we have this knowledge so when we look at how philosophers think um especially like in the old older ages or older years centuries um we have to understand where they're coming from contextually but also understand that our religion is a religion of moderation it's not on either end of the spectrum and when we do everything we do it in moderation so so long as you are like set on your deen and your religion and you pursue knowledge then you're fine then you're good because you know where your bases are um and you're able to respond especially in an increasingly globalized world where we're getting knowledge from all different um types of people types of religion types of communities we're going to have to respond to such um types of people mm-hmm. and because islam does have like relevance to everyone um and we can only bring that about if we ourselves are able to go into that and we have to also remember the first ayah that was sent down on the prophet peace be upon him was the first word was iqra right to read and that is the fundamental basis of seeking knowledge and we're encouraged to do so and um seeking knowledge and education is a form of worship as well so so long as your intentions are pure i would say seek that mm-hmm. knowledge yeah that's a really good point i guess intertwining what both of what both you and hada have said um i definitely i think just being a muslim in higher education obviously has um like is definitely beneficial to like the greater society um but also it's like what we were saying before about um the weird demographic kind of thing about white I do whatever um yeah <laughs> demographic blah, blah blah um in addition to that we need like my always my main concern in these topics or the main thing i want to emphasize is that we need to be able like or it's actually everything that we've been talking about we need to be able to integrate like islamic knowledge into what we're what we're seeking because this is what's going to help us like benefit our community directly i think my explicit example is dr rani awad also really love the work that she does where yeah she's talking about psychology and like mental health within and mental illness within muslim spaces uh with like in general but she's also integrating islamic thought into it because that's what's digestible to us that's what we're going to consume so that's like another reason why i really want to emphasize seeking knowledge because it's only it's only when we seek that knowledge ourselves that we'll be able to address our um issues or be able to help the community so Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You have to contextually be able to answer to things that are happening right now. Yeah. And like I was saying that that What was like saying, the birth yeah. of Islamic philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um because people were having like existential crises like, "Oh, okay. The Christians are saying this. What does that mean?" And it's like, "Okay, this is our Islamic response to that." And it unlocks so much actually like when you look at it um 
when you understand religion in a way that has been kind of imposed upon you, like we wouldn't understand it if we didn't have those challenges or those different contexts that force us to understand deen. Um, so there is light in those situations as well. And you see like so many of these philosophers, like when you're reading about them, they're interacting to Western philosophers you already know, like Plato and Aristotle. And it just like blows my mind that they mm-hmm. been interaction and like you could have integrated those people into your curriculum because they've literally responded to the thinkers that we're learning about. Exactly. But it's also yeah. important that we don't like, because sometimes, you know, when we're seeking knowledge, especially like Islamic philosophy, um, I feel like sometimes it's, I have to like um, be conscious of what I'm reading because we can't, you can't give these people authority like they're because they're not exactly on the same um standing as a scholar even though they are like um they do like consume knowledge and share knowledgeable, it yeah knowledgeable. but like yeah for example like one of the scholars i don't know who exactly it might have been al-ghazali but when i would quote certain things from what he like he he quoted certain um hadith and stuff and i had to double check every yeah. single one and most of them weren't even like they were daif yeah basically so it's mm-hmm. most of the time you also have to you know fact check everything that you're doing yeah so yeah, yeah, yeah. daif as in they were weakly graded sorry yeah, i don't sorry. i don't know if people would know <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah like cuz there's a system of uh, a hadith is basically something that the prophet has said or is said to have said and there are different grades of accuracy and da'if, which means weak, is one that's like hasn't been confirmed well. And we usually, on this podcast, we try to go for like sahih, which is correct and has been confirmed. Often. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. By the way, looking to what you guys have been saying right now, one of the one of the things that Zermuji was saying, El Zermuji was um, that was important in education was to possess the ability to interact socially, which I found kind of like surprising at first that he would say that is because you can just seek knowledge in that way, but you also need to, you to yeah, you, you need to share and you also need to learn, I guess, social interaction. It's just, it was just weird to me that he emphasized that, but I guess it's really important as well because of what you said about the context in the time, how they were responding to things or just like, uh, trying to sway people in certain directions. So being able to do that and not in a violent manner that has been um, pushed forth in Islamic schools like we have seen or government curriculums, that's I think that's really important. It's a point I didn't expect. It actually goes back to what we were saying as well about um, teachers and how they interact with their own students, you know? Like, you should have the ability to interact socially because... The people that you teach, especially if you're doing it for Islam, right? The people that you teach and learn from you, they're going to take that perception of Islam from you as well. So you do need to be someone who is socially intelligent, emotionally intelligent, because they will be forever influenced by you. Yeah, I definitely, I actually really like that you mentioned that point, because it links to my little jargon rant that I went on in the context, because you can, like, yeah, you should achieve knowledge and, like, go for it. But you also need to be able to communicate that knowledge in a way that's, like, relatable to the masses, which is what you've been saying. So, yeah. Yeah, they say the best and most intelligent people are able to communicate complex ideas in simple ways, you know, Mm -hmm. for people to be able to understand. Because 
what's the use of having knowledge if you're just going to gatekeep it Period. and it's just going to be amongst the elite? Yeah. There's no point. Because yeah. why Why are you seeking it? Why are you seeking it really? Because it, then it like goes back to your intentions. Like, are you doing it for prestige mm-hmm. or are you actually doing it for the sake of Status information? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, that's what we try to do on this podcast in the first place. That's what we're trying to practice. First of all, um, engaging socially mm-hmm. with people and trying to break down complex concepts. Yeah. Sara does that too. Yeah, Sara does that. We also love the work Definitely. that you do, Sara, literally. Stop. That's why we brought her on here. You should check out her page. Because yeah. <laughs> we will tag her. We'll, we'll, tag, we'll tag her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, thanks, guys. No problem. We love the furthering of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyways, uh, I feel like we've talked for a long, long, long time. Ooh, I did have one thing. Because I thought what the, the point you guys mentioned was super, super, super important about like taking knowledge from accredited source um so many people especially because Alm al-Hadith for example the school or the science of Hadith mm-hmm. uh, to have an English translation um is a complex study it's a complex field um and in order like Sahih uh, like you said means authentic Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim for example they went on rigorous um refining processes for them to be able to like find the most authentic hadith when we interpret islam from others when we take other people's words you have to make sure that they are reliable and cited and knowledgeable and something i loved for example about your podcast i remember when you guys started um and you were like posting your or like what what you would say in the beginning which i guess you guys called the context um (laughs) is like that you guys like cite where like ideas come from and like concepts that you're going to discuss and that they actually like have a place in islam and where they stand and you define them and stuff and because so many people just talk and they just say oh but i feel like this is what i should do islam does not regard your feelings <laughs> like when you're looking at it it's what it is it's what it is right and as much as we want to say oh but we'll like try to you can't make compensations you can't make exceptions islam is islam islam like i mentioned before islam is al-haq so when you get information you want it to be from certified scholars that's why ulama had their standing in being religious scholars because they were educated on uh, Quran, they were educated on Sunnah, the foundational texts of Islam. So whenever you're looking and seeking Islamic knowledge as well, you want to make sure that it is from the most reliable of sources. Period. Education. Okay. <laughs> and that, with that, we're going to end this episode. Thank you guys for listening. And salam.